a CTV original podcast produced by Bell Media Studios. This podcast contains adult themes and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Taken Abroad, Season 1, The Taking of Julie Mulligan. Did you think you were going to die? I thought that I might never come back. Yeah. Ten years ago, while on a trip to Kaduna, Nigeria, Julie Mulligan is ripped from her car, assaulted with a machine gun, and taken hostage by unknown assailants. I was so scared. They pushed me down, and they said, if you talk, we'll shoot you. Hours later, she's forced to call her husband, John, and demand a cash ransom. And I said, uh, what's wrong? And then I started to cry, and I said, I've been kidnapped. What happens next sets off an unbelievable 14 days that brings an Albertan family to its breaking point. I'm Marcy Ian, and this is Taken Abroad. Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. This is where Julie and her husband of 21 years, John, call home. They have a beautiful view overlooking a lake. Julie, it's nice to see you. Thank you so much. Can I give you a hug? So good to see you. So good to see you. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Julie Mulligan looks like someone you would happily chat with in line at the grocery store. She is meticulously put together. She has warm eyes, but right now looks tentative. I can see her mentally preparing to delve back into a dark part of her life. So let's get right to the evening that you were abducted. What was happening? My team and I, we were at a Rotary meeting. We were the guests of honor. After the meeting, we were driving back to the host house. And as we were driving, we were talking about the problems in Nigeria. We are talking about some of the inequalities that were happening. And when we got to to his house, There was a car, a little turquoise car, that pulled in front of us. As soon as you got there? As soon as we got to the gate, he pulled in front of us. The driver, they rolled right up to Moses's, that's my host's name, and he rolled down his window, the driver of the other car, and he said, do you know Mr. Smith, let's say? And Moses said, no, I've never heard of him. So the car started to back away. And then all of a sudden it stopped. And three men got out. The middle one was holding machine gun and they were right in front of the car. So they drug Moses, who was driving, out of the car, threw him to the ground. And then they came and they grabbed me. When they grabbed me, I dug my heels in so hard because I knew that it wasn't simply just a robbery or something like that. And I screamed, Moses. And they hit me in the back with a machine gun and pushed me into the car. In 2009, Julie Mulligan is 44 years old. She's a mom of two teenagers, Mackenzie and Stephanie. What's my mom like? That's really broad. My mom is so many things. I always say that my mom's a saint because she straight up is. She is creative and kind and giving. Um, she's super hardworking. She doesn't give up. She's indecisive and chaotic and emotional, but hard and driven. Like she's so many things all wrapped into one. 
Her husband, John, is the love of her life. We are truly best of friends first. Julie works in the insurance industry and has an active social life. Charmaine Hammond is a close friend. Oh, is she like? Well, she's one of a kind. <laughs> Lots of fun, very creative, and always the first one to give a hand. And anybody that needed help, she's there for. And uh, yeah, so she's known her for a long time. In a moment, Julie's life goes from community fundraisers and family movie nights to this. I was so scared. They pushed me down and they said, if you talk, we'll shoot you. If you lift your head, we'll shoot you. And for the first while, I couldn't have talked anyways. The saliva was completely gone from my mouth. My heart was beating so furiously. And as we were driving, I don't even know for how long we drove, maybe half an hour, I would lift my head every once in a while and I said, why are you doing this? And then push me back down. We told you we'd kill you if you talk. Julie is one of the first tourists kidnapped in Kaduna. And I was surprised to learn the industry of kidnapping in Nigeria had only caught on three years before. It all started with the kidnapping of foreign oil workers. And when criminals realized how much money was involved, kidnapping spread nationwide. You get a sense of the danger once you enter the region, that kidnapping here can occur anywhere, anytime. That's Kunli Falai, a BBC reporter in Kaduna. He's been covering Nigerian kidnappings for some time. So, Kunli, before we get to some of the challenges that face Nigeria, and there are many, I want to start with some positives. What should the rest of the world know about Nigeria and its people? What makes it a special place for you? What makes Nigeria such a special place for me is um, the drive that you see everywhere on the street. Uh, It's the drive to get ahead and succeed, uh, the ability to smile through adversity and and still hope for a better day. It's the people, it's the people that I would say make the country such a special place. What can you tell us about the kidnapping movement in Nigeria? How did it start, Kunli? Kidnapping started from the agitations of ethnic groups in the Niger Delta. It was a time when economic disparity and environmental degradation was the huge um, cause of anger in that region. Um, that would be in the early 2000s. After a few attacks on oil exploration activities in the region, militants finally introduced kidnapping in 2006 or thereabouts with the abduction of some foreign oil workers. And that sort of kick-started the kidnap for ransom activities in the country. How did Julie's case some 10 years ago play a role in the larger story? Before Julie... There have been kidnapping of foreigners in different parts of the country, especially in the the southern Niger Delta. But her case was particularly important in the timeline of kidnapping in Nigeria because it came at a time when at a time we can we can refer to as the start of kidnapping in northern Nigeria. Things I learned from Abakiari, the head of the intelligence response team, is the fact that a majority of the suspects that they've arrested 
there are herders, there are um, people who herd cattle from one place to another. They are nomadic in nature. And according to him, that sort of equips them with the ability to move around the forest without detection, to move around the forest easily without det detection of um, law enforcement. And according to him, it sort of makes it difficult, I mean, makes the, the war against kidnapping difficult because there is a vast uh, area of land in Nigeria that, that nomads, that um, these criminals can move, move in that will make it difficult for anybody to track whoever has been kidnapped. So we're going to back up a little bit, okay, Julie? So you are dragged into this car. Dragged into the car, yeah. Dragged into this car. Are the men talking amongst themselves? Are, are they saying anything? What's happening in this car as you're riding along? There was music blaring. There was a passenger and the driver, and then two men on either side of me in the back seat. Not talking to each other, just listening to the music. Do you remember any any smells? Do you remember seeing any details of the car or thinking any particular thing at that moment? I wasn't thinking anything about the car, about where we were going. I didn't have a clue anything about even the city that I was in. Do you get a sense that these men were, are organized? Is there somebody in charge? Do they know what they're doing? The driver of the car got out. He was definitely the boss. And once he got out of the car, he stopped. And the two men got out of the back and pulled me out also. They exchanged words with the driver, and then the driver got back in the car, and the driver and the passenger sped away. And there we were, standing alongside the road. Did you ask them anything at that point? I didn't ask them anything, but I told them that I was too scared, I couldn't go any further, because I could see in the distance, just, just out made the outline of a really big hole in the ground. And I was afraid that they were going to put me in that hole. So I told them, I can't go any further, I'm too scared. And they just hit me with the, hit me with the gun in the back. And we kept walking and we walked past that hole. And we came further as far as we could go. And then we were up against a cement wall. And that's where we stayed for the whole entire night. They sat on one dirt pile up against the wall, and I sat across from them up against the cement wall. Outside, outside. the entire night? Yeah. Were you worried about animals? Could you hear anything? Could you see, like, you're outside? I was outside. I was, I think I was so, um, I was in shock when I did have to go to the bathroom. 
they would come and shine their flashlight with their little, they have a flashlight on their phones, which back then was uncommon. I was surprised to see a flashlight on a phone. Mm -hmm. And they shone their flashlight. There were, um, they said that they needed to do that for scorpions. And I sat there the whole entire night, just looking at them. They would talk in a language that I had never heard. And in the morning when the sun came up, I realized that we were in an unfinished house. So it was a house that was under construction. It had the cement walls, just dirt for the floor and no roof. Listening to Julie describe her surroundings in Kaduna, I can't help but think how different it is from where we're sitting right now. In a cozy living room with comfortable furniture and lots of family photos, there's a noticeable sense of security here. Day breaks. And how are you feeling? What are you thinking? And is reality starting to set in? Yeah, sure. Reality is really setting in. It's like, holy crap. This is for real, and this is something bigger than I ever, ever imagined would happen to me. I realized that I was covered in mosquito bites. I was wearing a black jacket with some cutouts kind of along the arms and short kind of capri pants and a pair of black high heels. And everywhere that my skin was showing, there was mosquito bites. That scared me as much as being taken, because I thought that I could get malaria from just one mosquito bite, and my malaria pills were at my host place. Did you say any of this to your captors? Did you express um, how you felt about, you know, the malaria, about all of these things? Did you say any of that at any time? No, because at that time, I was still very frightened of them, and they had a machine gun sitting, like they were sharing who was being in charge of the machine gun. The boss, who was the driver of the car, I call him the boss, he came probably around 6.30 in the morning, 6.30 or 7, he came in the morning with the passenger. Okay. And he walked up to me, he said hello, and the passenger grabbed my hand he looked at my wedding ring he said is this real i said no this isn't real i said it's just fake and same with my watch it's just fake do you want it and he he um he just kind of like just pushed my hand down because it wasn't worth anything so that was kind of already by that time i was kind of starting to go into protect mode mm -hmm. and so then the boss came with his phone and he wanted me to call John. The house seems vacant when we're not both here. I thought it was actually coming up. This is John Mulligan, Julie's husband of 21 years. John is a jovial guy, and he tells me he chose to wear a shirt today that his wife bought him. You can hear in his voice just how much he loves her. Even when she goes in the afternoon, I find the house vacant if I'm home doing nothing. When she was kidnapped, I was scared it was going to be like that forever. In 2009, John is a top insurance executive. He's 58 years old, 
He's proudly raised two sons, and along with Julie, he's an avid traveler. We came back from Tanzania. We did a two-week bike trip, and uh, we came back, had a wonderful trip, had just um, beautiful weather, and uh, we were with our group of people, and uh, came back, and Julie just felt lost. She wanted to see more of Africa. So this opportunity came up through Rotary for her to go back. Tell me about that. Our district, came um, every year they came up with an exchange and um, they uh, you had to apply for it to be the leader. And Julie came to me and said, I want to apply for this. And because we had great memories of Africa, I was all for it. And so she put her application in and uh, she got the position to be the leader of the uh, group going to Nigeria. So this was an exciting time. Well, it was a great time. It was a great time. I was so excited for her. Uh, people in Drayton Valley uh, were behind it. They were so excited for her. Did you take her to the airport? I took her to the airport. Did you watch her as she walked through? Every step. So you think everything's fine? Yeah, I left there uh, confident that everything was okay. And I mean, the program has at that time been running for over 30 years around the world. Okay, so let's get to that phone call. Where are you and what happens? That evening, everything was going well. I, I came home from work and uh, and I had supper and uh, did some stuff around the house. And it was approximately 11 o'clock and I decided to watch the news and uh, went up to the bedroom and watched the news. And uh, approximately around 11.30, quarter to 12, I knew I fell asleep and um, and about 12.30 at night, the phone rang. And I said, uh, John answered the phone. He would come right out of his sleep. And she says, John. <sighs> and I said, uh, what's wrong? And I said, haven't you heard? And he said, heard what? And then I started to cry and I said, I've been kidnapped. And uh, I said, okay. I said, uh, I'll go to work. And then the phone was taken away from me by the boss. And the boss talked to him, telling him that he wanted 20 million Naira. And the kidnapped guy, uh, leader, said, we'll call back, and hung up. For the first time, John stops smiling. His eyes fill with tears. Even though Julie is the one kidnapped, it is clear John has also been taken hostage. The Canadian Travel Advisory warns us to stay away from Nigeria. It names Kaduna as a destination to avoid due to the high risk of terrorism, violence, and kidnapping. But in 2009, hostage-taking is still unheard of here. So who are these kidnappers, 
And what will they do to Julie if they don't get what they want? On the next episode of Taken Abroad. You've had the money. We had the money. John's forced to make an agonizing decision. So you had the money. Why not pay it? Canada doesn't pay ransom. And Julie makes a terrifying discovery about the man who holds her hostage. Taken Abroad is written and produced by Charlie Smith. Sound production by Elizabeth Kay. Kelly Peckham is our field director. Visual researchers are Elise Forster and Blake Glassbergen. Original theme music by Nick Fowler. And the executive producer is Kelly McEwen.